Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Good, good evening, and welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. A very somber evening, I guess. <laughs> this is to, Father Mike. Father Mike. Father John, good to be with you this evening. A... Um, Happy anniversary, Companions of Christ. Oh, yeah, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Cheers. Nine years ago, we uh, had this wonderful archbishop who let four crazy seminarians kind of go for it with this idea to start a uh, an association of priests who were going to hopefully refound the common life in Denver. And here Companions we are, nine Christ. years later. I wish we could say we were more virtuous and holier, but uh, we're, we're going for it, so... Nathan well, Goble was just a, we're still praying together in Rome. That's right. Looking forward to getting back to Denver. Nathan Goble was just a sparkle in your eye at that point, right? Mm. That's right. The uh, I, I don't, did, did I know Goble when we started it? I guess he had started in seminary. That's a good question. I don't know. I didn't know Father Michael Lachlan. Right. Right. We we did know Larky, Father Brian Larkin. Yeah. And Father Matt Book, you know, our one of our close friends, then went to the diplomatic corps, and we thought we. Never seen him again. We thought he'd be gone forever. He'd be in off on a mission, know, Ghana or something. You know, uh, doing diplomatic work. But he is back, and he's uh, yeah. And Father Greg degree. and Father Brady were friends. Father Greg, Father Brady, and now Father Jason, Father Joseph, Father Joseph. Yep. So, to all the boys, wish we were uh, having a bourbon with you tonight. But uh, it's good to celebrate, and uh, we'll see you soon. We'll Christmas be together. Is coming. We'll be together very soon. Counting the hours until we're back in God's country, where they're finally getting snow. You know. Oh yeah, but uh, it's really getting dumped on back home. It's like, oh man, for, for, what are they called? The vortex, polar vortex, polar vortex. I don't know, but it sounds awesome. Oh yeah, I Mike, I can't wait. I mean, I just, I can't wait. Yeah, We're gonna vortex. Be We're gonna it be sounds skiing, like threading, so. but it sounds fun. Yeah, did adventurous. You, did you work out, uh, bros in the snows? Yeah, we're get, we've got it on the calendar. Okay. So my brothers and I, we go snowboarding. I got two brothers, older brother, two years older, and then a kid brother, fifteen. Johnny. Rocking the snowboard. Does Johnny still kick people in the shins? I probably. There was a phase. I, I haven't definite, seen that definite for a phase. While. I got kicked in the shins. But I think there's something about my face that just, you know, you want to do that. It's just like he, yeah, he knows. He sized me up and he's like, that guy needs to kick in the shins multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> I don't know. I think, yeah, he's kind of rando. Impulsive. Yeah. I hate to maybe tell you, that's, it's, uh, it's kind of a character, it family characteristic. The family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. The funny thing is that. You know the the Mike Father Mike's family, just some of the awesome, the most awesome and wild characters. But uh, his parents are like these like sweet Minnesotans. So we're always trying yeah. to figure out where does this come from? You yeah, know, fell from how the does tree. this genetic? <laughs> but my suspect, my suspicion is that Nancy Rapp, she's actually a wild. Oh, wild, she's got wild. Wild. Just, the Minnesotas, you know, my mom's the same way. They're all sweet, but beneath it, they're they're wild. Yeah. Know? So. Yeah, you can see my dad will get goofy sometimes. Kind of random, mm-hmm. but there are chapters to their life that we don't, uh, you know, we don't have access to that, and so these things will be revealed in the eschaton. Yeah, we're now. learning. We the see stories. everything, so yeah. So it's great. It's great to be celebrating tonight, and uh, yeah, it's happy anniversary. Be That's great. great to be home with everybody. The podcast so started um, uh, two years later, right in uh, January of 2010, and uh, this right. this podcast I think is going to come out a couple days after Christmas, something like that. Uh, but it'll be pretty close to the anniversary of, uh, I think it was like January 6th or something when we posted one of the stylites. 
Oh yes, uh, which we have been accused for seven the years by Pillar Deacon Saints. the Pillar Saints, by Daniel used Deacon Daniel Eusterman, who claims that we got that wrong. Yes, there was a Daniel the Stylite, and yes, there was a Simeon yeah, the Stylite. The, yeah, haters. There was a Simeon. The These stylite. haters, man, they just they follow us up. Now, we love Deacon Eusterman. All right, so that's like We're a excited. six six year anniversary. Well, is it seven? I think seven? it's seven. January tenth. Oh, 10. yeah, January brings a new year. It's 2017. <laughs> 2017. It's 2017. Whoa. I think 2017's going to be a good year. I got a feeling. 2016 was a little rough. Seven years still sounds like a long time to me. I know I'm yeah. getting older, but that sounds like a long time. Yeah, we're getting old, man. We're getting old. Yeah. I got. I told the, the barber to cut it short on the sides because the grays are coming in from graduate studies. And Uh-oh. I told my mom that. I said, you know, do you see any gray hair? She's like, oh, yeah, there's like hundreds of them. And I was like, what? When, when did these come? Oh, no. She goes, your dad was silver by 35. And I was like, oh, man. This yeah, is your just... dad's got white hair. My dad's got white hair. But they got hair. Oh, yeah. I'll take that. You know, oh, yeah. We can't all have perfect skulls like Chris Lebsack. They you know? say that the, the hair gene comes from the mother. Have you heard that? But I've heard that's really not true also. Okay. I don't, I, I don't know anything. Urban so. legend. Mythbusters. Yeah. Mythbusters. But speaking of heads, I got a book here that I think you just read, didn't you? I'm holding it in I, my hand. I read most of it. Read most of it. Activate your brain, right? Activate Not to be confused your with your favorite lyrics. Eat your brains. Eat your. Oh. <laughs> no, we do not endorse Nicki Minaj. That is not. Uh, that is not funny. So, first things first. <laughs> activate your brains. Scott Helford. Activate your brain. Is uh, so my my dad came out to um, to Rome and gave me this book. You know, which is a funny a funny thing. To give your son who's doing graduate studies a book called Activate Your Brain. Well, if you find it helpful. Well, I know. And at first I was kind of like, seriously? And, uh, and then I was like, all right, I'll, I'll put it on the shelf. It's, you know, it's dad. And uh, ended up being really interesting, you know? Yeah. It's one of these business... Now, I wish it was just... I, I was waiting for the page that said you just kind of like flip a switch. Right. You know? Right. If you just sleep on the other side... Right. Exactly. Then... Sleep on your right, not on your left. But... There was a lot of handy information, but it was uh, had a lot to do with like choosing and right. the will and yeah, it's it, it's got a touch of that kind of modern kind of Nietzschean thing, but uh, some interesting neuroscience and it was a nice introduction for those of us who know don't who know jack about science and medicine. And, yeah, you know, I the learned brain. about brain and brain chemistry. So, and we also learned funny little things like uh, connectivity is really important for the brain, such as. Fist pumps. Fist pumps. So we're implementing more fist pumps, more fist pumps in this podcast. And increase relatedness. That that was a moment of connectivity you know, <laughs> for the two of us. <laughs> so if you want to build group connectivity. Right. There's fist uh, pumps. There's what were funny, the other ones? Fist pumps? I, I high know. fives. High, a lot of high fives. <laughs> and uh, yeah. It Smiles. Was funny. We were listening to this contact. stuff. It was a lot about like uh, stress, you know. Like, stress is really bad for your brain. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> and and it's funny because, you know, he's quoting these like Harvard studies. And they're like, for the last 40 years, we've been, you know, studying this. And we've realized that, uh, you know, um, that people who think positive thoughts are happier. And you're just like, really? <laughs> Did Harvard, you know, they have yeah. to sink in $2 well, billion dollars into that? Seems, you know? It seems so common sense. <laughs> And but then, then, but you do appreciate, like, oh, okay, now I've got statistics on that. So right, and there, there's funny stuff like these activation moments, and and I would read these, and I was like, this is so ridiculous. But I don't do this. He says, next time you feel an emotional, negative emotion, an, an intense negative emotion, wait ten seconds before responding. And I was like, <laughs> yep, yeah, I really should practice that. Yeah. Uh, I don't activate but, uh, your brain, John. but unfortunately, my brain has not been activated. So. 
Uh, we like this book, though. But one of the interesting things that I found in it, uh, well, several points, was first off, uh, we're talking about the brain, by the way, in this podcast. This is, this is not going to be organized, the, the nice, systematic, and creative treatment of the moons and Our Lady and whatever we <laughs> just experienced. Did they listen to that already? Yeah, uh, which may or may not have gone over the hour. Uh, verboten <laughs> the line of demarcation. Uh, so I apologize we'll to, to all of you who no, it was about the, suffering. Like short, we're going to suffer. It was that about from suffering. Gobel and Olaf. But we, it's time we're going to we're going to yeah. because he he drove it right up to the line and he was just chirping. You know, yeah. Uh, we didn't go over whenever. Well, we go it's over. my fault. It was my. No, it's topic. not your fault. If I wouldn't have given the stupid commentary after every word, so I I don't blame you for that. But, it's you know, content rich, my my friends. Content rich. We're not just personality driven, as we That's were right. recently. We're not a personality driven. We were driven just recently podcast. accused accused of that, but uh, no, that was content rich. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, anyways, going back to Thanksgiving, we mentioned this in the last podcast, but we uh, we were um, in Andalusia, right? The Rock of Gibraltar. We hiked the Rock of Gibraltar. Yeah, we you got a little too chummy with the monkeys on Gibraltar. Clockman oh, and I were freaked of, out. What are they called? McKay's? I have no Barbary, idea. Barbary? Ah. Anyway. I have no idea. There's monkeys on Gibraltar. But they were not... I don't know. I was expecting... Uh, it made me made me a little nervous. Well, I had read uh, in the blogs that uh, you got to watch out because they pickpocket you. Yeah, that's They'll true. They'll steal your glasses. They will steal your wallet. Right. They will steal your uh, food if you have any candies or fruits. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Never should have that banana in my pocket. <laughs> The, uh, I knew it. I knew it. It was a terrible decision. Do not go to the Rock of Gibraltar and carry fruit in your pockets. Um, but yeah, that was a nice. That was a nice day. And, uh, and then we took the uh, ship across. That was our big adventure to go to Morocco, Tangiers. Yeah. Rick Steves was right. It was wonderful. We had a great experience. Father what Mike, are, Father Mike our... led us through this very wild. We went through all these different areas of the town looking for this one restaurant, and we were like, "Rap, come on, seriously, it's pouring rain." And we finally found it, and it was amazing. Now, I was given the job that I hate more than anything, <laughs> party planner. Who gave you that job? I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to find out the fun things to do and then, like, guide this, this tour. Well, I don't care. I am so, I don't, I, I, just, I just live the adventure all right. the time. Right. I just, just go where I'm the, at. Just live in the I dream. I don't like to plan. I know. So I was very stressed out because we were in the rain. Everybody was afraid of being there. And I, th- I found this cool place. Right. And... We're walking through the streets, and these guys are like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, rap. You've got something planned. I can right. tell. You're just walking us in circles and right. can't find anything. Yeah, and that's true. And usually the party planner is the one who gets killed first when uh, when the trip sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate but, that job. I hate that job. Well, next time you can buy plane tickets, and we'll have Clockman do the party planning. How does that sound? So Yeah, well, I've done my share. You did. You did. Turned out you okay. did well. One of the interesting things about uh, Gibraltar in that area, southern Spain, is that it's the last known inhabited place of the Neanderthals, mm-hmm. which was yeah. kind of interesting. So Neanderthals burned out of existence about 40,000 B.C. Okay. So that's a long time ago, right? Right. And uh, supposedly, if you go back to like 300 B.C., there was a there was this there was kind of a strand between them and what would later become Homo sapiens, right? Human and that's beings. That's kind of the mark. 300? That's kind of the mark. They call it Homo uh, Heidelbergian. It's all these German names, you know, because they find these things. I thought it was between two hundred and one fifty BC. What's the three hundred? Well, Homo sapiens we know are somewhere in there. Um, okay. One one. It's debated two hundred one fifty one hundred BC. You have human, you have 
human beings, what we, you know, we call right. human beings. And what's interesting is that we got a guy, Daniele Russo here, who's doing a, a paper. I can't, I can't go into this for too long, but he's doing a, um, a research on a polygenesis. So the scientific theory that there was multiple Adam and Eve, so to speak, which the church has condemned, you know. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is that they're finding in DNA studies that all of humanity, which they thought were these different strands, goes back to one woman. Right. Right around yeah. they're, what they're saying now is 200 BC. Very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, what I mean, that is fascinating. And the idea was that the the um, what uh, the, the Homo sapiens just kind of uh, evolved consciousness in these various parts in the world, right, right. kind of at the same time. And I, I suppose you could sustain the idea that God is. Um, taking this matter that's fit and then giving us a, a soul, um, a human soul. But it's much more uh, profound and interesting for the relationship between human beings right. when there's a common ancestor. No? I like that word, relation. That's good. Maybe we'll do a podcast on that at some uh, point in the next hour and 57 seconds, which we did last time. <laughs> sorry, too soon? Too soon, sorry. Well, I don't know if you're cutting me off. Or so Neander- just... Neanderthals are... Uh, not human beings, um, but they're kind of a close relative. Um, but what's interesting is even like modern day chimpanzees, um, we share ninety eight point eight percent of their DNA. Mm-hmm. So we're really, really similar. Yeah. To chimpanzees, right? Great yeah. apes. And um, I could have told you that. Yeah. Common sense. How many? This. But how many chimpanzees you got in your uh, Greek three class right now? Oh. Zero, right? So there's something about what I witnessed you do yesterday or last week versus, you know, guys who are stealing fruit out of your pockets, you know, up on the <laughs> rock of Gibraltar. So yeah, there's, there's something. There's a big difference between us and the monkeys. And the difference is right up here, the frontal lobe of the brain. Oh, okay. So do you remember this? Put your hand out. Oh, yeah. Okay. There was something. Put your hand out. Turn your hand up, right? Okay. Palm up. Palm then you up. Turn your so wrist yeah, up. We have our hands out straight. Turn it up. And that's the first lobe, which he calls the, I forget what he calls it, the mammalian. You know, we would call that the vegetative. And then if you turn it in a little bit, about half. Nope, just about half, Mike. Okay, okay. You have you curl the, the fingers yeah, halfway, you have so they're like, pointing at your face now. Well, well, I, I don't know the scientific words. We'd call that like the sensitive, so like animals would have that. It's not just vegetative functions, but the human brain, the back part of the brain, the back lobe is just... Vegetative, so processing what you have. I think for they call that reptilian. Stuff. Reptilian, very well, yeah. very good. And then the middle part, mammalian. Mammalian. Mammalian, which is more like. Um, and the monkeys have that. M- monkeys have that. That's how they know. Look at that guy, sucker. Let's take his glasses, right? <laughs> That's they have. They have good. Stuff. But then the last part is the really interesting part. The the frontal cortex. The frontal cortex. The human. Right? The human and and. That's the that's the kicker. That one little section between us and chimpanzees, right? But it's mm-hmm. pretty substantial. And uh, in particular, I read the, the. Do you remember when he talked about the medial orbital frontal cortex? That's where act. That's where like um, energy comes from. So, oh, yeah. what I've been lacking for the last three weeks in writing these papers is something is not synapses oh, are not yeah. firing in the uh, medial orbital. And there was something cortex. like like with the with the the rest of the brain. It deals a lot on emotions and reactions to stimulus right. and everything. Right. But then there's like a decisiveness in that frontal cortex. Right. Exactly. And Andrea Polito told me yesterday on the phone that the uh, if you have a frontal injury of the brain, that's where you lose like personality, you lose like awareness. There's certain human functions that go mm. when you injure this first part. Yeah, it makes part. sense. So there you go. I thought it was interesting because 
the three parts of the brain, as we understand it, correspond to the three parts of the soul that yeah. that Aristotle and Aquinas talked about, right? The so that living things have this vegetative soul, animals have this sensitive soul, but only humans have the vegetative, the sensitive, and then the rational. That's rational, right? Yep, rational animal. Right, rational animal. Okay, so you're thinking to yourself, what the heck are we talking about, and what does this have to do with anything? Wait, can I throw in a go for just it. a comment? Yeah, that that. In spite of the fact that this separates us from from other animals, it is not what makes us human necessarily. Right. The fact that we have this extra bigger brain or right. pieces. It's not the, the size of the brain. Whales have big brains, but they're not that smart. Right. I read that in that book. Moby Dick? Uh, oh, no, this I one. thought it was oh, in yeah, that book. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Moby Dick was pretty smart. But it's... It, okay, so this is, this is a... Um, he actually wasn't smart. He just was filled with hate for Captain Ahab. But that's oh, the next the month. Animal. We have to wait for that. The Sorry. whale. Yeah. So, um, okay. So this is a a reality of um, human physiology and makeup that enables something um, that is human. It enables the soul to do work, something um, greater to act with the matter that's there. So I just want to make sure that we're not reducing it because you get into a lot of debates right on the. Uh, uh, bioethics level right. about what makes a person what makes something human right. and if you think of like a fetus we argue as catholics that this is a human person and it has to be recognized as such and treated as such even though it's developing right, right? and so i don't know you can't just define this by at what point is the frontal cortex activated that's, I think that's a yeah, human that's a that good, kind of thing that's know? a very good point yeah what makes us human is not 1.2% dna differentiation from right. um from from a chimpanzee, absolutely. We have a soul, and the anthropological implications of humans being a composite of body and soul is, is substantial. And the soul is created by God, and it's the source of life, right? So it's not just this kind of like random thing, but we really believe this is like deeply, deeply integrated into it. He makes a very subtle comment in this book um, where he says that um, the difference between the human brain, as we understand it from neurological studies, is that the human brain has a capacity to be social. In fact, it's structured socially. Mm, yeah. I thought That's that interesting. was interesting. Yeah. So you look at these monkeys running around, and they got like the crazy, gross, like huge mom monkey that's really threatening on the rock of Gibraltar, and you're thinking to yourself, <laughs> this looks kind of social, and it is, but it's not the same. Yeah, they're, hanging, the same. they're hanging out together. They're hanging out together, right? And uh, so that brings us to our next point here, which is to say, well, what is the difference then if uh, scientifically we're coming to an understanding of the human as a social reality um, and the brain as a social functioning thing that's just, this is just unprecedented, mm. you know? And so before I introduce the next point, take you back to, I just want to highlight this with an example of how bad of a friend I am. It's the like three hours before Mike's um, presentation, and he's just nervous, just sweating it out. He's just like, this is that like go time. very nervous. We're having a cup of coffee in my room. Banking on the mammalian brain. And I'm trying to like really, really um, just like throw questions that are just keeping him off a topic. I'm trying to get him out of the, the presentation. So I look at him and I say, Mike, what do you know about the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology? And you look at me like the deaf look and go, why are you asking me questions that I don't know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was why like, are you asking me questions right now that I can't answer? I was like, that's a really good question, and I'm sorry that I did that. That and was kind of panicky moment. Yeah, no. That, that was <laughs> it a wasn't really, a big deal. 
That was a, a bad, very interesting question. That was a bad, uh, bad it's question. Timing. It's just all timing. But the question, Matt, uh, uh, Father Mike, what do you know about the you know Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology? Is that is an interesting one because I came across this guy, Michael Tomasello, who is the co-director of that institute. Now these mm. are a bunch of atheists up in Germany, right? Okay. Leipzig is that how you pronounce it? Leipzig, yeah, Leipzig, Leipzig, Leipzig. Uh, these guys, this, yeah, these Leipzig. are not Christians. These are evolutionary anthropologists, places. right? Mm-hmm. Evolutionary anthropologists. And Michael Tomasello is a psychologist who is the director of this, but he wrote an interesting book called The Cultural Origins of Human Cognition, and then a later one called A Natural History of Human Thinking. And basically the premise of the latter book that I read that morning, not a long book, was um, that humans think in terms of relation. Mm. Relation. Do they use socially? Or is he did not use socially, right? But he talks about what makes human cognition unique is that human beings are fundamentally cooperative, right? So um, there is this sense that they, um, and he calls it the shared intentionality hypothesis, and that's kind of the point of the book, that the three unique things to the human brain, namely cognitive representation, inference, and self-monitoring, we can't go into this, are what distinguish what distinguish um, others from this evolutionary process. Okay. So there's this like major, major shift that happens where humans think in terms of relation, right? Now you can say to yourself, well, what about our, our primate friends up on, um, up on Gibraltar and these kind of things, right? Are they thinking in terms of relation? And you could say, well, at what, what this guy says is it's not. It's an exploitative society, mm. right? So they're not working together. There's no such thing as self-gift for chimpanzees, right? There's right. no such thing as charity. They're, they're taking care of themselves. They as, are taking as care of themselves. As animals are made to do. Right, as animals are made to do. And one of the examples of this is that uh, fit to do great, apes never, great apes never left the, um, uh, basically, they never went too far from the equator because they couldn't survive. Versus we find homo sapiens all over the place, right? Because we, they'll work together? Because they it? work together, right. There's these concepts of like family, tribe. It's just a different kind of thing ah. versus the kind of basic animal instinct to of self-preservation, which involves other people, ah. right? And so this concept of relation is something that Tomasello is is saying. This is what distinguishes um, um, humans in a very particular way. And I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting stuff, right? And uh, that's interesting because. Interesting. This is Minnesota term. You know, it's not Minnesota interesting. This is interesting, interesting. But when you think of it, if God infu- if God is a Trinity and He infuses um, this matter with a soul that is in His image, yeah, then wouldn't it be interesting and fitting that all the, that one of the unique characteristics of that uh, new being is that it's relational? Yeah. Right. That its very brain functions in a way that's necessarily drawing it. Yes, into, come in, Father Clock, man. Into relation. We're podcasting. How are you? Come on in. You can have a seat. Come in. Oh, Your favorite, I know. Father John Father Clock, Clock in the house. Don't worry. We'll give you the microphone at the end. But we went over an hour. You got to shut that door, though. It's not shut. Thank you. It's a little chilly. Welcome, Father Clock. We were just singing your praises in the last one, so... You could hear it. You feel your ears burning. We were just talking about the monkeys on Gibraltar. You know, the, you know why? And how you and I were not not too chummy. Your ears with are tingly because your brain functions relationally. Oh, pound that moment of connectivity, right? You got to read. Bumps. Activate your brain. 
<laughs> that makes me think of Jonathan Fricker. Pound it. Jonathan, pound it. Molly, pound Ru- it. Molly Ruggin gets that. Okay, so, so the human brain thinks relationally, and that's the unique characteristic. And, and so from that, I want to talk about the point of this podcast is relation and dialectic. And these are two different... Don't give me that. Don't, you behave yourself if you're going to be audience here, right? Just because you don't have a microphone. I know it's Father John's killing you. Fun. It's killing you right now. You need a microphone. I know. you got No uh, shouting. It's too no late shouting. for that. I know. So the, uh, the point of this podcast is, the rela- is relation and dialectic, right? And, um, and so that's kind of where I want to go with this. I want to talk about the Trinity, and then I want to just talk about two basic insights that I got from this Trinity course with this guy, Julian Maspero, who I'm just big on oh, right yeah. now. Do- yeah, everybody hears about Dr. Doc- Professor bloating. Maspero, he is just the man. I love this guy. Wonderful Italian professor, Father Clockman, came to some class with me. But um, somebody asked me recently, Mike, um, they said, well, what do you guys exactly do all day? And I was kind of in a saucy mood, so I said, well, I just think about ideas, and Mike thinks about words. Yeah. Well, that's that's not too far from the it's truth. It's kind of true. As an exegete <laughs> and, and a dogmatist, that's kind of what we do. But ideas. I don't sit around like uh, the... I don't know, the ancient Greek philosophers looking at a tree, right. scratching my chin and thinking about words or something. You would like that. can't That would be very nice. But I think a, a more... Um, would you like a little bourbon, Father? What, what would be a little more um, exact would be to say um, you think about words in relation, right? In relation to Christ, but oh, also yeah. in relation to each other. And I think about ideas in relation to Christ. Yeah. Because if you only thought about words all day, right, you would, this would not be uh, an exeg- a truly exegetical project. And if right. I thought about ideas all day, I would be um, just doing ideology, right? Hmm. It's, it wouldn't be theology. What, so what, what makes it related? It's connected to people or it's connected to through time or something? Just in general, that everything is relational and that everything finds its context in relation, right? And one of the key things here is um, in many ways we... So go back to the the medieval period. Aristotle disappears in the early church and then he kind of makes his way back in through the Muslim territory actually into into Spain and then into continental Europe around the 11th, 12th century. But for Aristotle... Relation. You're talking about Aquinas? No, Aristotle. Ar- so he, he's appropriated by Aquinas and others. Oh, you're talking about his ideas. Yeah, okay. Aristotle's Sorry. ideas are his understanding. I mean, I'm watching him walk in my mind. I'm watching him walk around through Muslim countries. He never, like, he never made it to he, Spain. Yeah. This guy's been alive a long time. He never had a he never had a pint with the cheeky <laughs> cheeky monkeys in uh, Gib- in Gibraltar. In Gibraltar. <laughs> okay, but, I'm with uh, you. I'm with you. So Aristotle understood relation as an accidental property of being. That's really important. Mm-hmm. So the Greek mind had not yet developed the understanding that relation was of the essence. It was an attribute of yeah. the essential subs- rather than not essential. Exactly. Accidental. So what happens is, uh, and Aquinas does not do this. We're going to talk about Aquinas in a second. But basically, if you get over Aristotelian, um, what happens is that um, it leads into the modern thing, which keeps relation as an accidental thing. So relation, this is a fancy way of saying, relation is not essential to who you are. Or or you could say relation is not essential to truth, for example. So 
Aristotle is considered kind of like a, the birth of science, right. where you have you can piece um, patterns and uh, realities, data, um, and see it objectively, divorce it from um, the kind of biases and influence of human beings, and just um, study it in a in a way that's kind of separated from exactly, the, which is born a lot of fruit. It can be very helpful as a method, but. Um, it's right. interesting that it's it's it can be um, I don't I want to say related to this uh, this problem of relatedness. What, what is you know the connection between the human and reality or truth? Right. The, the, and the the great thing about Aristotelian thought is that it considers things in itself. So it studies things as they are. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's understand what this thing is in itself instead of within the context of relation. But, you know, you go down and down and down that path, idealism and then the rejection of modernity, and, and then you get guys like Sartre who are saying things like, hell is the other people, you know? Mm. So that's the logical following out of, of uh, relation becomes not just set aside, but then it becomes actually something that's evil, right? Right. For, for existentialism, relationships are keeping you from the from your own transcendent desires yeah, and your own, your own fulfillment. fulfillment, right? If yeah, if you didn't have if you didn't have any relationships, you would finally be free to and and you see that yourself. I mentioned that pod, the uh, Patagonia video that Clockman and I watched that he was super bored out. Now he's now he's texting. This is amazing. Uh, he's very interested. Huh? You, we'll give you the mic. Well, don't worry. We'll give you the mic. <laughs> the uh, but we watched this thing, and it was luck. all it was all about going off into the wilderness and finding yourself. This is into the wild, you know, Krakauer's yeah. book, which was super. I mean, really interesting studies, but uh, it gives that impression of the the way that you find yourself is by getting away from the messiness of human yeah, society, relationships you know? in society. Right? So it's true that relationship is complicated right and so i think they appealed to this aesthetic of of the simplicity of a quiet mountain mm-hmm. and then one single rider just making his track right. yeah, and that's exactly it's it. beautifully it's sublime and it really does appeal to us who are like so torn up with trying to keep up with relationship trying to keep up with business trying to keep up with the like society right that we want to escape you know? right and that's but it. it's just not true that right. you can run off and actually be happy. And I feel that temptation in the Christian life of, you know, when things get bad and I get overwhelmed, what do I want to do? Push everybody out of my life and say, just get out of here and go reinvent myself or just run away, you know? I mean, that's what we do. Versus staying in the fray with people um, and and really seeing that in these relationships is where I will find truth, you know, That, um, that the human... This is all. Oh, there's so and that's much. That's where you become human. That's where you mature as a human there's being. There's so much to talk about here. So Aquinas talks about how. Um, so, anyways, just to qualify, Aquinas appropriates Aristotle, but he does so well, and he does so in a balanced way. Okay. Later on, you're going to get guys like Duns Scotus and then William of Ockham, and then that's going to slip us into, um, into the modern period. And uh, so, those guys are going to kind of super Aristotelianize, if you want to make up that word. But Aquinas, his formulation is really profound. And and I'll make two points about Aquinas, and then we'll move on. Number one, Aquinas talks about how there's two kinds of human desires. One kind of desire is concomitant with um, the capacity to fulfill that desire. So there are certain things that Father Mike Rapp desires that he can fulfill. Mm-hmm. But then there are other things that he desires that he cannot fulfill. 
that yeah. he has to have the other to fulfill with him. And the ultimate desire, and, and the most physical example of this, is if you think of a woman's body, has this capacity. She has a desire for to, to, get, to have uh, bear children and a capacity to do it in her body, but she can't on her own. Wouldn't you say that about men? And men <laughs> why, as well. I mean, why? Because she can bear the child within herself. This is what, this is what oh, Aquinas says. Aquinas okay. uses the example of a woman's body. So, there's, so there are certain desires within the human heart that are relationally constituted and cannot be fulfilled Without the without other person, the other. yeah. Which that's means, which yeah. means that the deepest desires of the human heart cannot be fulfilled without other people. So to go off into the wilderness, to move to Alaska, to run off to Patagonia in search of perfect powder will not satisfy the, the desires of your heart. And we right. know that we've we've done this in our own ways. You know? But even just like to have one exclusive relationship, we kind of Disney Disney praises this, and there's something very fitting, very good. At the end of the creation story, we hear that it's very good that man and woman were created, male and female, with this complementarity for each other. You have this image of uh, relationship. You have this image of togetherness and perfect complementarity. But that single relationship isn't enough to satisfy every desire of the human heart. Um, There's also a desire for friendship and a desire for family, like children, there's a desire for God and relationship there. And so there's there's a whole kind of complex and world of relationships that kind of build together toward that sort of satisfaction. And I apologize for all those mountaineers out there in uh, Colorado, uh, the 14ers or Vail. Here's Father John we'll Clark. that for you as well. Did you watch that video? Uh, I did, and I was very distraught by some of the <laughs> esoteric, existential poetry that try to be, you know, speak to my soul, but I thought, I, I found it very irritating, actually. Yeah. That's all you want to say, huh? <laughs> uh, I have more. I have more. Oh, he's got more, baby. Well, <laughs> we'll give you the mic back, but can, can you put a little ice in that bourbon for me? Well, I got you here. Thank you. Sure, sure, sure. Thank you. Yeah, you're such a servant. So you're coming to full human actualization in this social interaction. Pound that. Oh, connectivity. Connectivity. Pound. Pounding. So the uh, Fist so bumps. that was a great lead into um, Aquinas's. The second point I want to make about Aquinas, which is the genius of his Trinitarian theology, is that so for the first millennium in the church, um, we're trying to deal with the question of how is God one but many, right? Right. How is God a relationship, and but also one God? How is He one in essence, but also um, many in persons, right? This is the great yeah. challenge, and there's a lot of different heresies that spin out. We don't have time to go into this, but this is like the challenge, right? Right, and it's a it's one of those mysteries that we profess. So we're supposed to try to figure it out, even right. though we know three and one are kind of illogical together, and yet it's a truth that we know. Right. So we're we're trying to come to grips with the truth of God. Exactly, exactly, and that's the point of theology, is to apply reason to the mysteries of revelation that God discloses himself. But Aquinas has this brilliant, brilliant formulation where he says that the persons of the Trinity are relatio subsistence. They are subsisting relations, right? Subsisting is a fancy word for being, right? So to subsist yeah. is a particular form by which one has an essence, but and what, it's in, individualizing, individualizing. Yeah, 
Yeah, the the subsistence. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't a, use the word individuals, right. right? But there is something that's. This is not that, right? And it again, we're trying to subsistence. We're trying to like simplify very complex stuff here. So every person in the Trinity shares everything except for the relationship, right? So the Son is everything, shares everything with the Father except His Sonship, right? Mm-hmm. And the Father shares everything except His fatherhood, right? So everything except for the relationship is is the same because it's they are one yeah. essence, right? There's not yeah. three different essences. It's one being, one right. Usia is the, right. Is the, the, so the complication is. The Father is fully God, right? Completely, right. not missing anything. Jesus is fully God, right. the Son, uh, and the Holy Spirit is fully God without missing anything. So, if you ask which one is God, you have to say each of them, right? And f- fully, right? You can't say, okay, this one is part or in a way or something like that, right? So, all of this is to try to figure out how to. Put words to How this do you describe that? Jesus reality. discloses God. But I like that the, sep- the, the separation is the relationship itself. It's the relationship, yeah. So God is relational, but the persons, the Trinitarian persons, are described by Aquinas as relatio subsistence. So they're subsisting relations. So they are themselves, in their essence, their relationship, right? So you and I have a relationship, Father Clockman and I, and, and the three of us have a relationship. We have a little Trinitarian thing here, right? But we do not share one essence. And we are not solely, exclusively uh, defined by our relationships. We got a great friendship, got a great friendship, good brotherhood, right? Had a nice trip to Gibraltar, but we're <laughs> nice. Yeah. Giving us the sign. What was that? Yeah, you got to be careful in Italy doing that. There's some of those signs are they mean different things here. Um, but we are not coextensive with this relationship. With relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah. And this is very important for married people because. They get into this lovey dovey stuff of like, this is your everything to me, and I'm everything to you, and soulmates. and your soulmate. No, you're not. You're not soulmates, right? You are not coextensive with this relationship yet. You're working towards that, and I'll explain this in a second. But you can't presuppose that just because you got married, that you, I am you, and you are me, and everything is perfect. That's only in the Trinity is that perfected, right? We're trying to image that in marriage and in our own way in the priestly bond, but. Trying to help them, right? To that kind of relationship. Trying to help them with that relationship, that's true. Yeah, and you hear, like, psychologists will talk about mental health and um, sort of human maturity. Part of that is becoming independent, right? So if you always consider yourself, I act in every way, everything that I do, every way that I think, every decision I make is because I want to please my parents. I am a son. right. Well, you're never going to be mature. You're never going to be healthy because you have to be yourself. And right. you're still a son, right. but you've got to be yourself. You know? Right. Now, this is interesting that you say that because I'm about to flip that on its head, and I'll be curious what you have to say about that because Maspero dropped this line, and it was he dropped two lines in class, and this is what I'm going to close with here. Maspero's awesome. Maspero's awesome. And um, number one... Um, he said, to be perfect is to be nothing other than relation. Now, what he meant by that was, if the Trinity is the model, then the perfection of the amago trinitatis, the human soul, the human being, I should say, is to become nothing but relation. Let me give you an example. Think of our uh, married guy, okay, who kind of says, you know, I like being married, I like being a father, but um, 
I like also having my buddies on the side, and I like to kind of go out. We go to Vegas every once in a while, and we kind of do our thing, you know. Come on, what's the problem with that, you know? Or I go to work, and I'm a different guy, and I'm not. It's it's just you lose that kind of vocational foundation of relationship. Yeah. Something that happens to married men. I'm thinking of Grace and Nolan uh, getting married next Sunday. Like they don't, they're no longer themselves, right? Yeah. They're called to that. They're not necessarily that. They have to work towards that, and the working of grace is going to support that. But you have to be conformed to the Trinity in this respect that you need to be reduced entirely to this relation. And that's that's the essence of vocation. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think vocation. Vocation. Uh, to say that the, you're you are as a, like as a person entirely supposed to be. Um, I'm not sure exactly what to make of that. I'll have to think about this. This quote from uh, from your guy. What's his name? Maspero. Maspero. About the perfection of a person, he says, is to become relation. To be I, to be perfect is, is to of, be nothing but relation. To be perfect. Yeah, I'll have to test that. I, I like the idea, especially with, um, I, you know, I study scripture. So I think scripturally, and when Jesus says the two become one, and he's, he's quoting Genesis, uh, there's something very particular about a husband and wife and the way that they're meant to relate and they're called they're meant to uh, or they're, they're called to relate to each other in losing themselves out of love concerned with service of the other concerned right. with the good of the other that is love you you become so interested in in um, serving this other person out of love for god and um, and a, a vocation to it that you really become one person in some profound way now doesn't mean though that you don't have your own self or that you don't have your own life so it can be dangerous i think the temptation for most in our culture is to stay so independent that they don't actually learn to give themselves away in love right and so this is a very good corrective right and it's just part of the phenomenon of love generally so even in friendship you have to give up all these these selfish things about the way i want my life to be in order to be a friend to somebody, you know? To uh, imitate the Trinity, can you say something about married couple or friendship um, where I'm corrected by a brother or my wife? Because the Trinity has a, like a perfect relationship with each other, right? They know each other completely, they self-gift, they self-receive, they self-give. That's not always true on this, this side of heaven. So what would you say to somebody who is married or in friendships about receiving fraternal correction? I think these are both good points, both of you. And the pushback that I like that you're kind of instinctively feeling is that there's, uh, this is, we're in creation here. We're talking about we're trying to image the Trinity, but we're we're not in the Trinity. We're in creation, and so what about personhood and how? What about the conflict? And we'll come to yours in a second. I'm going to call that dialectic in a second, which is supposed to be the second half of this podcast. But we're already 40 minutes in, and we're not going over an hour. So I know. Well, so we'll come to that. Hold on a second. Hold maybe on a second. we can come Let, back to this eventually. But I just worry that going too far down that line is going to end up with something like Buddhism. There is no me, right? Or there's not meant to be a me, right? When you really want to say no, self gift, 
you become fully alive and you become fully you giving yourself, but you are still you. Right. And God wants you to be. He doesn't want you to disappear into some sort of Absolutely. relatedness Ab- or something. Ab- bam. Pound it. Pound it. The, uh, that's true. And think about um, that line from Gaudiot Spes that John Paul loved, right? You find yourself in a sincere gift of yourself. So it's not gone. Think of it like this. Married people, listening to this podcast. Your marriage is a means to sanctity, which means a, mar- a means a means to unity with the Trinity, which means that if all things, if you, if perfection for you means bringing all things into relation, that fundamentally means in relationship with the Trinity, and the purpose of your spouse is to bring help you bring all things of your life into relationship with the Trinity. So you're not going to find it in your spouse. Maybe that's a better way of phrasing it to appease the. The brethren here, right? But you're not going to lose your person, and it's not going to disappear. It's just put in relation. The persons, the persons of the Trinity are coextensive with their relationship. That is not the case with us, but we are made. We're conditioned for relationship, mm-hmm. for relation, and it's the the kind of the way by which we come to perfection. There's no Christian holiness without relationship. Think about this. Think about this, guys. Think about our friends who are priests, who are lone rangers who think that I don't need anybody to make a, a constant self-gift in the parish, and I don't need anybody to, to come to holiness. That's crazy. And they get weird, right? Yeah. And, they, and they estrange. And so what we're coming back to is that we need each other as priests. Married people need each other, but it's all a means towards bringing the, uh, having a unity of life within uh, my relationship to the Trinity. Okay? Number two. And then we're going to wrap this thing up real fast. Sure. Dialectic. Father Mike, you studied philosophy... What do you know about dialectic? Um, it tends to be discussed as a point, a counterpoint, and then some sort of agreement in in the middle. Ah, very Hegelian, right? No? Yeah. Isn't that the dialectic? So, yeah, so Hegel was a 17th, 18th century philosopher who said, you have the thesis, the antithesis, oh, yeah, and thesis, then you have antithesis. the aufgehoben into the synthesis, right? Synthesis, yeah. So dialectic is a relationship of opposition. Sherman is so romantic. <laughs> All right, you're done talking. <laughs> no, that was actually great. He's a German. Aufgehoben. So the Aufgehoben into the um, into the synthesis, the oppositions become the same. But the, there's um, there's a death to the two things in the right. Hegelian their, synthesis. Their individuality. Go back to go back to Socrates. I thought you'd say Socrates, but you went right to Hegel. So in the beginning of philosophy, you have this guy who has this Socratic method where he comes into conversation with people and he just kind of fires things back and forth, right? And even think about our conversations. This is natural to human argumentation, you know? I throw something out there, you throw something back. We're working together to come to the truth. Right. And especially in in the context of good relationships, this actually works, right? But dialectical reasoning can get bad because we live in a fallen world. And Maspero's second point was to say that if you want to lose reality, get uh, I, I forget how we how we described it. He said the quick. I think he said the quickest way to lose reality is through dialectical reasoning. And what he meant by that was not the content. We have a kind of a communion whereby if I say something to Father Mike and he says I don't like that, you know, I don't think that's true. Boom, he fires back. We go back and forth. But if you do that with somebody that you don't have that fundamental base of trust and communion with. It gets bad real fast, right? And what happens is you become us versus them, right? 
right? Us Against the World. Yeah. That was a Coldplay song recently. Father Glockman's pointing out that this is this is a very uh, they can't hear you. He's going to very close to our reality in the political sphere and in in modern society. When I define myself as not that, as not you, uh, this is this is dialectic gone bad, and dialectical reasoning, which is which again is proper is a proper construction of the human human mind gets introduced into the medieval period. And again, with Aquinas, everything is tutto bene, right? Everything's good. But it starts to get like just too much emphasis on the Aristotelian thing towards the end of the medieval period, and everything becomes dialectical. And Luther is the great dialect, theological dialectician. But guess who formed Luther in his philosophy? The Catholic Church, right? We did. We taught him, Duns Scotus and, and William of Ockham, and we gave him dialectic, this kind of dialectic either-or instead of a both-and, and we said this is, this is what the philosophical basis is, and he took that and made that the foundation. So in theory, it sounds better than in reality, that you can have this thesis-antithesis, point-counterpoint, and then you come to an agreement. But in, in fact, what often happens is that you have a point, a counterpoint, you recognize your enemy, and then you're further estranged from each other, and you drive deeper into your own right. Think error. about Think about our conversation with René Girard recently about how you, it becomes this kind of battle, you know, how we try and mimic each other's de- desires, and then all of a sudden we have to kind of battle it out. Yeah. This is where we find ourselves in the current social and uh, political... Yeah, in the political sphere, this often plays out. So you have... You, you just dig in your heels... You know, and yeah. pushing further and further away, and yeah. you're not coming to an agreement. You're not coming to any like Nobody's mutual dialogue. truth. Nobody's dialoguing, and so there that's 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 a key word. Yeah, something relational right. that actually bonds you together, and actually helps to like um, give you the desire. I guess in my mind is is this way: give you the desire to work toward truth, right? Because neither of you have it, and you're recognizing that, but you're saying I'm closer. And the other guy's saying, I'm closer, right, you know? Right. And so human, uh, human minds use... Di- Thank you, Father Clockman, pointing to his watch. Human minds use dialectic, dialectical reasoning, mm-hmm. but the, the revelation of God is dialogical. It's logos, right? So dialogue and dialectic are different things. And dialogue, excuse me, dialectic has to be at the service of dialogue. And I'm going to close with a, just an autobiographical point here, and then we got to do shout-outs and shut this thing down. Shout-outs. you got a shout-out, too. Okay. This is what I want to say, is that a lot of my life is spent cleaning up the messes and the fights that I make. And, and when it goes wrong, sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes it's worth sticking it to the man or whoever that happens to be. Yeah. But a well, lot of you always but, go into it with the hope of convincing them, right? Right, right. And you once I'm told you them. once told me very truth is that uh, the other companions had not realized this that the more that I drink bourbon, the more convinced I become that I know everything about everything. <laughs> right? Did I tell you that. That's pretty so good. So dialectic, dialectic is a very dangerous tool. It needs to be used at times in the proper context. But what I find, and I, what I've been convicted of this Advent, is that I am very dialectical. And I'm very divisive because I use dialectic to say, I'm not this. I'm not that kind of priest. I'm not that kind of Christian. And I'm different. 
and I'm and I define my identity based on uh, a rejection of that yeah. versus on my relationship. There's no dialectic in the Trinity, and so my identity cannot mm-hmm. be rooted in dialectic. Yes, it can be used as a tool within the context of communion, but I have to be very very careful, especially in the intellectual sphere, uh, to not get reduced to that. Amen. Nice. Okay. Let's shout, shout outs. Father Mike, you got any? Um, I forgot to give this one. I just did this whole podcast on the moon, and I forgot to shout out uh, the Simmons family, Lauren and Billy and Diane and Bill. Um, Lauren was uh, a co-conspirer in this uh, conspirator in this um, New Year's resolution to learn the seas on the moon. So I'm just realizing... I got a I got a shout out to the family. The they were uh, wonderful um, and caring family that lived across the street from me, and as I was growing up, and um, I care about them deeply. And I I think some of them listen to the show. So I want to shout out my father, Mike Rapp. Oh yeah, unusual person <laughs> I've ever met in my life. <laughs> oh no, I love him like a brother. <laughs> he is just. Can't describe him. Anybody else? I'm sitting right here. You could have just told you me that. Can't describe him. So okay, and these two here, uh, <laughs> Father John uh, Neppel, who's he and Mike uh, are just uh, giving you juice for your spiritual life. So, oh yeah, nectar. Yeah, nectar. Fuel. Nectar for your spiritual life. <laughs> I also want to uh, shout out uh, the Schmidt family um, and also Becca. Who recognized that I, I'm not I'm, I'm gluten free? Uh, Brock Dahl from uh, DC and Tom. Ho- hopefully, I get his name. Gurney. Greeny. Okay. Tom Greeny. Uh, Dennis from Boulder, who's like awesomeness epitomized. So, uh, shout out to all of you. Thanks, Father. Very John. good. Nice, nice shout outs. Anybody who says Father Clockman is awesome he gets a shout list. out automatically. He, he had his list up. Okay, on his Leslie, phone. Leslie Wharton, Leslie Wharton. Yeah, Carter Hawkins, boyfriend. Shout out. Thanks for listening, buddy. We're very excited to meet you. You're dating a great girl, right? Number two, Spencer and Taylor Leffler's mom, Diana Leffler. This hey, is the podcast. Hey. Yeah, shout out to her. Lisa Farley and family, they dropped off all the Halloween candy. And oh, all that nice. stuff for us. Hey, this is terrible. People that. come to Rome, they try and meet us, and sometimes we can't meet up. So, Lisa, sorry we missed you, but thanks for dropping yeah, off. Yeah, sorry. Their kids you. get their I kids. Hate that part when miss, their kids sent people. their Halloween candy to us. They gave us some of their candy. That's very, very. They sweet. gave it up. I would have you, never done that. You Father have Clockman, saints for children. Father Clockman is clapping. So, and then lastly, I'd like to give a shout out to Aaron and Davis Gunter. Yeah, and Frau Gunter. Yeah, these are friends of John Fraker now. John Fraker's like Nathan Gold in this regard. He doesn't want his friends to become friends with his friends because then you they're, know, they're going to be his friends. It's dialectic, right? Uh, so, Davis, we're going to be not friends. Not in relation. We're going to be friends someday. Let's get this in relation. Once we get John Fraker out of the picture, we're going to get into relation, all right? And we're going to pound it. Pound it. And we're going to build, with the build levels of connectivity with the Gunta family. So, that's it. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. We're done. It's over. <laughs> and I'm available for like a uh, hair. <laughs>
Parish missions. Parish missions. I feel like I know You're it's done. coming. You're exploiting yourself. Last plug. Catholic stuff. Thank you for listening. Catholic Stuff Podcast. Happy New Year. Thanks for the uh, seventh anniversary. And we'll see oh, you. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. We'll see you back. Cheers, in everybody. Time.